Psalm 100, verse 1. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting, and His faithfulness to all generations. It's one of those psalms that's really hard to read without a smile on your face. You just can't be dour and read a psalm like that. Psalm 100 is a doxology. That is, it comes at the end. It's a grand finale to a glorious fellowship of psalms, beginning back in about Psalm 93 and running all the way up to Psalm 100. There are seven psalms specifically that are coronation psalms for the coming king. Psalms designed to sing praises and glorify the king as he's being crowned and coming into his throne, but not an earthly king. The Psalms are very specific. 93 through 100 are the crowning of God the King coming to earth. And they're amazing and incredible, exciting to read through. In fact, let me just give you a little taste. Psalm 93 verse 1. The Lord reigns. The word reigns in the Hebrew. The Lord reigns. It means He has assumed kingship. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord has clothed and girded Himself with strength. Indeed, the word that the world is firmly established, it will not be moved. The Lord reigns. Psalm 94, verse 14. For the Lord will not abandon His people, nor will He forsake His inheritance. Psalm 95, verse 1. O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. Psalm 96, verse 1. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day. Tell of His glory among the nations. His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. Psalm 96 down in verse 13. For He is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. And when the Bible says, when the psalm says He is coming to judge the earth, it's not, it, the indication in the Hebrew is not He's coming for a judgment day, but He's coming as judge over the earth. Coming again to reign, to assume kingship, to assume rulership over the earth. Psalm 97 verse 1. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many islands be glad. Do you hear that with me? Fidalgo. Let the islands be glad. Psalm 98, verse 7, Let the sea roar and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains sing together for joy before the Lord, for He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. And by the way, if you weren't here on Wednesday night a couple of weeks ago, Psalm 98 is the psalm that inspired Isaac Watts to write that carol, Joy to the Lord. Joy to the Lord, which is a song about the coming of Jesus, the second coming, not about the first coming. Remember that this holiday season. Psalm 99, verse 9, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill, for holy is the Lord our God. That holy hill is Mount Zion, there in Jerusalem, in Israel, on the earth. Indeed, the Lord is coming to reign. 
The Word of God could not be more clear about this wonderful promise. And if you have questions about that, if your theology is unclear on that, I encourage you to go back and listen to the last two Wednesday nights of teaching. Because we go through this, not from a Revelation perspective, but from an Old Testament, from a Psalmic perspective, we see the truth being foretold that God is coming to reign and to rule on the earth in that great kingdom age. So check it out. So we come to Psalm 100, and it is the doxology of all these psalms. It joyfully closes out the coronation cluster of songs. But it stands alone as the most quoted song for this time of year for Thanksgiving. And rightly so. Look at the heading of Psalm 100. A psalm for Thanksgiving. I was so excited when I saw that and saw how close on the schedule it fell to this Sunday. I was like, right. It's a Thanksgiving psalm. So we'll do that Sunday right before Thanksgiving. In an earlier time, people loved this song. They called it the Old 100th. And Spurgeon wrote, Let us sing the Old 100th. It's one of the everyday expressions of the Christian church. And will be so while men exist whose hearts are loyal to the great King. And I found that quote both wonderful and heartbreaking because I'm not sure how many people today say, Hey, let's sing the Old 100th. It was common in the Christian church in Spurgeon's day. So common that when he quoted it, and I saw it in several commentaries this last week, let's sing the old 100th. And people knew exactly what that meant. I, I fear that if you say that today, most people would say, the old what? 100 who? What, what is that? The old 100th, the song of thanksgiving. And so we begin Thanksgiving week 2010 with the right psalm for the occasion. By the way, Did you know that beginning on Thursday of this week, the average American family will eat turkey for eight days? (laughs) Turkey sandwiches, turkey soup, turkey hash, turkey salad, turkey tetrazzini, turkey a la king, Turkish delight, really whatever you like that has to do with turkey. And I know that President Lincoln, back in 1863, he gave this pronouncement. He said, set apart and observe the last Thursday in November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in heaven. But I'll tell you, presidential announcement or not, it is really hard for me to think about Thanksgiving without thinking about turkey and stuffing. And cranberry sauce and candied yams and those, you know, those, uh, those green beans with the, onions, the, the onion crisps on top of that. I love that. And pumpkin pie and all that. I, I, I get so excited about it. The feast. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. Feasting, my friends, is a good thing. Feasting is a biblical thing. I'm not talking about gluttony. I'm talking about having a celebratory feast. The major festivals of Israel all involved feasting. And the Lord proclaimed that. I want you to have a holy feast. I want you to celebrate. I want you to be joyful. The Bible often portrays the feast as the symbol of celebration. To gather and to feast is a good thing. A way to to celebrate Thanksgiving. And Jesus loved a good meal. It cracks me up that of all the uh, post-resurrection appearances of Jesus... I think almost every single one, he says, hey, you guys got something to eat? Let's eat. Let's gather together and eat. Hey, I fixed breakfast. Come eat, guys. Because Jesus enjoyed eating. Matthew 11, verse 18, Jesus said, John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
And I read that verse and I look at Jesus and I look at John the Baptist and to be honest, I'd really rather hang out with Jesus. And I'm sure John the Baptist was a very nice man. But if I wanted to hang out with someone, if I wanted to be around someone joyful and fun and upbeat and someone who liked a good party, a good celebration, I would pick Jesus every time. Now, if, those, if there are those of you who still need some convincing that feasting is A-OK biblically, let me give you a couple more verses. I'm just trying to back up my own day coming up here. Isaiah 25, verse 6. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. A banquet of aged wine and choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. Isaiah 65, 13. Thus says the Lord, Behold, my servants will eat, but you will be hungry. Behold, my servants will drink, but you will be thirsty. And God draws this this picture. He says, hey, those who follow me are going to feast. And those who reject me, they're the ones who are going to go hungry. They're the ones who are going to thirst. But with me, there is feasting and celebration and joy and life. And the Lord is the originator of the feast. The Lord is the one who calls us to this, not again of gluttony, but of joyful celebration and thanksgiving. And did you know that the Lord commanded Israel to have their own thanksgiving feast? They were commanded a specific feast that was all about thanksgiving. And Psalm 100, this psalm of of thanksgiving, the psalm of worship and praise, is particularly designed for that feast. It was sung in Jerusalem during what is called the offering, uh, the, the sacrifices of thanksgiving or the thank offering. In fact, that's technically what the title is. Your Bibles may say a psalm for thanksgiving. Literally, it's a psalm for the thank offering. The thank offering. We read about that in Leviticus 22, verse 29, where the Lord told Moses to tell the people, when you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day. You shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord. So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. Now, if you read the book of Leviticus, and we studied through it, there are five specific offerings that were unique to Israel. Five offerings that God details uh, in Leviticus chapters 1 through 7. The fifth of these offerings is called the peace offering. And the peace offering is synonymous with the thank offering. It's the same offering. So if you hear the phrase peace offering, it is the thank offering. The thank offering is the peace offering. But here's what's unique about the peace offering or or the offering of thanksgiving. It was the only one of the five where the offerer was invited to stay and enjoy fellowship with the offeree. In other words, the person would bring their offering and the Lord wanted to share the meal with the person who brought it. They would bring a lamb and it would be, it would be you know, burned up on the altar and the good meat, what we would consider the good meat, not the fat, although the fat is awfully good, but the good meat would be eaten by the person bringing the offering and the fat and, and the rest of it would be burned up as an offering to the Lord. And the requirement was the person had to sit there and eat it with the Lord, have a holy barbecue. You know, you and the Lord, there together. Uh, three things that are worth considering when you think about the thank offering, giving thanks to the Lord. The first thing is there are no limitations. There are no limitations. The thank offering was not just one day limited on the Jewish calendar as we have Thanksgiving. And one day a year Americans will stop. Well, okay, we'll give thanks to some big higher power. No. No, when it comes to the Jewish people, the thank offering was not limited to a particular day. They could bring it any time they wanted. And they were encouraged to. 
Bring your thank offering to the Lord. Psalm 100, again, the verse, verse 1 and 2. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. This is the heart, the attitude God was calling out among His people. Come on and bring the thank offering. Let's share a meal together. Let's you and I feast here together. And when could they do this? Anytime. Whenever. As often as you like, today, tomorrow, forever, bring the offering of thanks. Come and share a feast of joy with the Lord. Psalm 34 verse 1 tells us, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Paul says in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Don't wait for a particular day, once a year, or even once a week. Don't wait for Sunday. Let your praise, let your thanksgiving, let it be a continual thing. Now I love Thanksgiving Day, but we don't need a day a year to give thanks to the Lord. Hebrews 13.15 it says, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. No limitations. No limitations with thanksgiving. Secondly, there are no leftovers. With the Lord, no leftovers. The bringer of the thank offering was required to eat it there and then. They didn't chaw on it for eight days like most of America will after Thanksgiving. They didn't take the leftovers home in a doggy bag. They were to stay and eat and feast with the Lord right then and there. And anything that was left the next morning was burned up in the offering of sacrifice. It was not kept over. Now why is that? Well, the Lord's on to us. And He knows that what we would do is fly in and fly out as quick as possible because we have stuff we've got to get done, God. We're busy. We've got, you know, full schedules, Lord. So I'll bring the thank offering, but, but you know, I really, I prefer a fast food kind of a worship, you know. If you have a drive through service, that'd be great. Just drive through, say, hey, praise God, and off, and I'm on my way. <laughs> and the Lord says, no, Israel, if you want to come and bring a thank offering, you come and bring your blanket and your babies and your kids and your family. You come, camp out. And let's spend some time together. If you're really thankful, don't be in a hurry. There are no leftovers. The Lord would say, eat up, friends. Enjoy. Have seconds, thirds, fourths, that's fine. But right here and now. And I really think the Lord was trying to encourage the worshiper just to stick around and enjoy Thanksgiving. Verse 3, he says, Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. So God's saying, hey, stick around and graze. You know, when, when a shepherd led his sheep into the pasture, they would stay there to eat, to feed until the grass was gone. One of the things I love about Thanksgiving Day in my house is it's a day of grazing. You know, Cheryl puts out the veggie tray and the chips and the, the, you know, all the stuff, and we're just kind of eating all day long. I love that. And this is a picture of the thank offering. There's fellowship involved. There's, there's no rush. There's no hurry up. It's just, we're just here for the day. Isaiah 30 verse 18 tells us the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for Him. Who long for Him. That that word long in the Hebrew is literally to adhere to Him. To long for God is to adhere to Him. In other words, to stick around. (laughs) 
to be near Him, to be stuck to Him. And so I, I see that picture of the shepherd with his sheep and, and he's out there with the flock and he leads them into a place of, of pasture because, gang, the Lord is our shepherd. I shall not want. Psalm 23 tells us that He makes me lie down in green pastures. And He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. There's the table. Even in the presence of my enemies, you've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And David got it. David understood it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. No leftovers. No microwave, dried up, turkey jerky for the next several days. God says, come and feast now while the meat is fresh. Have you put off the Lord in some way in your life? Is there an area where you've got something in a doggy bag that you're going to get to? It's in the fridge, it's getting tucked to the back. But eventually, you're going to get around to doing that. Have you said, Lord, I'll I'll grab that plate later. Uh, I'll follow Jesus eventually. I'll get baptized in the spring when we don't have to break through the ice. Is the Lord calling you to something? And it's a very, very personal and intimate thing because it could be anything in any of our lives. But is God calling you to something that you've just kind of been holding off on doing until a more opportune season? I think the Lord would tell each of us, don't nibble and don't wait. Don't tuck away those bags of leftovers. Feast here and now. What are you waiting for? Make it happen today. Hebrews 3.12 The writer says, Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you or in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by this deceitfulness of sin. Man, while it's called today, act today. Don't put off Don't wait. No leftovers. No limitations. And and finally, there are no letdowns. No letdowns with the thank offering. Verse 4 tells us, Enter His gates with thanksgiving. His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and His faithfulness to all generations. And where else are you going to get an offer like that? Everlasting kindness and love and grace and mercy forever. That's what the Lord has to offer. And there are no letdowns. You ever go through those holiday letdowns? Maybe you've worked real hard to to make it good for the family or or to to have some great experience and then Thanksgiving comes or perhaps Christmas comes and goes and the next day you just kind of go... You find yourself blue and a little bit depressed. Not so with the Lord. There are no letdowns when you bring your thank offering to God the Father. Leviticus 22.29 again tells us, when you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. Now that word accepted is interesting. It's ratzon in the Hebrew and it literally means delighted. You shall sacrifice the thank offering so that you might be delighted. Because it impacts your heart. It's more than just being full. God wants His people to be delight. 
And a key ingredient to filling up on delight is thankfulness. And this is something our culture, our country, our world, I think, completely misses. That the bringing of thanksgiving fills you up. The offering of thanks to God fills up the heart. uh, Solomon wrote in Proverbs 15.15, A cheerful heart has a continual feast. You want to be continually full and joyful and delightful? Then have a thankful heart. I can be stuffed to the gills and still be completely empty inside. I can be physically filled up. But a heart full of thanksgiving is a heart that has a continual feast. A continual delight. The problem comes. The problem comes when our hunger in the flesh overtakes the joy of the Spirit. And that's, that's the problem. We, we see this. That's when the letdown comes. The Lord Himself says in Isaiah 1.14, And remember, the Lord, originator of the feast... The Lord who calls His people to the feast. The Lord who says, bring your thanks offering and we will feast together. He says this, Isaiah 1.14, I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. Wow, that's 180 degrees. The Lord says in Isaiah 5.12, Their banquets are accompanied by lyre and harp and tambourine and flute and by wine, but they do not pay attention to the deeds of the Lord, nor do they consider the works of His hands. What happened? God who called Israel to feast now proclaims, I hate your feasts. Why? Because they brought their offerings and they held their feasts, but they left their thanksgiving behind. They, ha- they did what happens to so many of us. Religion comes in and we start to go through the motions and the heart is left out. And God always, first and foremost, is concerned with the heart. Where's the heart? Don't come and sit and have barbecue with me with your mind somewhere else. Bring a heart of thanksgiving. If you're not bringing a heart of thanksgiving, don't bring a lamb. If you're not bringing a heart of thanksgiving, don't bring an animal for sacrifice. I don't need that. I need you. I want your heart. And that is so often lacking, even these days. Psalm 100, therefore, is given to keep the focus on where it belongs. That as the people came into the gates and came into the courts, thanksgiving would be offered and a shout joyfully to the Lord and serving Him with gladness. And through the whole thing, it's about the heart. Now I was thinking through this psalm for this morning. And at first I was thinking... You know, a great idea. This is a short little psalm, five verses. I could just close up the Bible and I can say, why don't we go around and each one just start sharing what we're thankful for? And, and that was my original intention. We're not going to do that. Because I, I fear that in so doing, we would cheapen the kind of thanksgiving that is called for in the old 100th. There is a thanksgiving called for here that is far more than thanks for the roof over my head. Or, thanks for the car that I drive. Or, thanks for the new outfit, Lord. Or, thanks for the children, even, that you've given me. Or, thanks for family and friends. Some of those things, very good. And, in fact, all of those things we should be thankful for. But that's not the focus of the thank offering. Would, would you take a moment and read it through with me out loud? Let's read all of Psalm 100 together out loud, beginning in verse 1. Here we go. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. 
It is He who made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him, bless His name, for the Lord is good. And His loving kindness is everlasting and His faithfulness to all generations. Man, that's just, it's just good to read. I poured over this psalm. I prayed over this psalm. And I thought, Lord, what, what do you want to say here that we need to hear? And something kept bugging me. As I read through this, something just, something's not right here from at least an earthly perspective. Look again at verse 4. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. Enter His gates. Well, that would be the gates of the city, Jerusalem. As you're walking into the, to the golden city, there up on the hills of Mount Moriah and Mount Zion. You're coming in and you enter the gates. Man, before you ever get to the temple, enter with thanksgiving in your heart. Enter His courts with praise. Well, now you're entering into the temple courts. So, well, so think about it. What was the first thing that a worshiper would see upon coming into the temple court there of of the Lord? The brazen altar of sacrifice. That's the first thing you'd see. You'd come in and there it is, the altar of sacrifice. And it was huge, gang. 2 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 1 tells us the altar was 30 feet in length, 30 feet in width, and 15 feet high. This was not just a little altar. It was massive. And the people would see that. I mean, you couldn't miss it. If you enter into the gates and then into the court, you, you couldn't miss that altar of sacrifice. Now, think about this. Follow this through. Who is invited to enter the gates with thanksgiving and the courts with praise. Who's invited to do so? Look at verse 3. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Did sheep ever enter the temple? Yeah, they did. They just never came back out. They were the sacrifice. They entered into the gates... You know, we're we're invited to enter with thanksgiving and enter with praise. We're the sheep of His pasture. But the sheep went to be slaughtered. That's why they were taken in. That was the whole point. You go in to be slaughtered. Listen to this. Leviticus chapter 3. i just got to read this to you. The, The graphic description of this peace offering, the thank offering, beginning about verse 7 says, if he's going to offer a lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and slay it before the tent of meeting. And Aaron's son shall sprinkle its blood around on the altar. From the sacrifice of peace offerings, he shall bring as an offering by fire to the Lord its fat, the entire fat tail which he shall remove close to the backbone. And the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins, and the lobe of the liver which he shall remove with the kidneys. And then the priest shall offer it up in smoke on the altar's food, an offering by fire to the Lord. But here's the problem. We are the offering. We're the sheep. The sheep led in to be offered. And I look at it and I think, boy, I, I think maybe, you know, I, I'm not the psalmist, 
But whichever psalmist it was who wrote this, I think I would have chosen another metaphor. Another picture. You know? We are the people. uh, We are His people. and And the children of His family would be nice. You know? But that's not what He says. We are the sheep of His pasture. If we're the sheep led into that court... The first thing we see is that altar of sacrifice, already smoking and bloodied by the other sheep who have come in. We're looking at that, and we're looking at our shepherd, and we're looking at that, and we're looking at our shepherd, and we're saying, this is a bad deal. (laughs) I think I'd rather be out in the hills. Where are we going? What's going on? You know, I see Barney up there. He's not looking good. What is going on here? Well, let's make matters a little bit worse. John 10 tells us it's the Good Shepherd who leads us in. Jesus leading His sheep in, saying, Hey, sheep, be thankful. Praise God. Come on in and get slaughtered. John chapter 10. Turn over there in the New Testament. John chapter 10 for a moment. It's on page 1087 in my Bible. John chapter 10, verse 7. And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. Or some translations say, the gate. I am the gate of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am, verse 9, the door, the gate. If anyone enters through me, He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. But but Lord, when I come as the sheep of your pasture, bringing that thank offering, I'm not being led out to pasture. I'm being led in to slaughter. But here's what I want you to see. This is the source and substance of all thanksgiving. This is the one thing we're thanking God for above and beyond all other things. Verse 10, Jesus, or verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now get this picture in your minds. Before our very eyes, led in first through the, the gates of the city and then into the courts of the temple and we see the sacrificial altar there and we see our good shepherd and, and we're a bit nervous because we recognize where we're being led but in a moment, in an instant, before our eyes, the good shepherd is transformed and becomes the lamb and is taken up and led to the altar of sacrifice where he is sacrificed as we look on. And that is worth all our thanksgiving. That is the point. That is the whole idea. Why was it, we've said this before, why is it that God required sacrifice in Israel, those five sacrifices of Leviticus? Why? Why all the blood and the slaughter? That it would point people, paint a picture of Jesus His Son who would do this once and for all. That we would recognize over all history that God loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Isaiah 53 verse 7 says, Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so He did not open His mouth. By oppression and judgment, He, Jesus, was taken away. 
And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people, listen, to whom the stroke was due. And that makes it even more intense. Because as we're led into the court and look up at the altar of sacrifice, that altar belongs to us. We belong to it. The stroke is due us. We should be led up there. And we know this. But the good shepherd says, I want you to wait here. You stay here. I need to do something that must be done. And he goes to the altar and he lays down his life for the sheep of his pasture. And that is the substance of thanksgiving. That's why we give thanks. It's not for the friends and family. It's not for the cool new clothes or the jacket or the car or the house or all these other things. It's not that God has provided for us and He has graciously, mercifully. But Thanksgiving isn't about any of that. We bring the thank offering because we the sheep have been saved from our own destiny on the altar by the Good Shepherd Himself. The thank offering. Draw the picture out a little bit further. The people of Israel were to eat the thank offering with the Lord. And Jesus says, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. John 6.54 He says, For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So then, after the offering is made, the thank offering on the altar, then the Father says, I want to share this with you. I want you to eat of this flesh as well. Jesus becomes for us the thank offering to God. The peace offering. The Prince of Peace. Amazing. Becomes our peace offering. He is our peace, the Bible tells us. And we are the sheep of His pasture who enter His gates with thanksgiving. We come into His courts with praise. And think about this. It is His intention as His sheep that once we enter, that we never do go back out again. But not because we were sacrificed. We're invited to enter into the courts, into His presence, to remain there. That we might be, two final things here, that we might be altered and ushered. Altered and ushered. That we might be altered until He comes. You see, Jesus understands something else. That it is through self-sacrifice that a person becomes altered, changed, different, unique. Jesus looked right through the altar of the cross. He saw to the other side of it. And He went through it for the joy set before Him. Hebrews 12.2 tells us, And the same is true for us. If you want to truly enjoy thanksgiving, if you want to have a joyful spirit, there has to be an alteration. In our bodies, in our minds, in our spirits, we've got to be an altered people, a changed people. Well, how do we get there? Well, first He sacrificed for us. But He wants to continue to change us, to alter us. In Romans 12.1, Paul says, I urge you therefore, brethren, By the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says you've been been given a sacrifice by Jesus. 
He's gone through it for you. Now, offer yourself. What does that mean? It means you come to the Lord and say, Lord, whatever you want. Not just whatever you want me to do, but whatever you want to do with my life, if it will alter me after the fashion of Jesus Christ, then I ask you to do it. And I will accept it as your will. Knowing that you are doing something in me, you are changing me, you are sanctifying me. And I love this, Psalm 102, verse 26 says, Even they will perish, but you endure. All of them will wear out like a garment. I've got clothes in my closet every now and then. you just got to pull them out and throw them away because they're just worn out. You know, they're not fresh and clean and crisp and new anymore. They just, they're good for the, for the garbage can. And, and the psalmist says that's kind of like human life. You know, after a while, we start to wear out like a garment. But, but, he says, like clothing, you will change them and they will be changed. Does that sound like another verse of Scripture? 1 Corinthians 15.52 In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. We'll be in fresh bodies, new bodies, glorified bodies, changed, altered by the Lord. And if your life is in Jesus Christ, that change process has already begun. He is working in you and through you and in me and through me to change us after the pattern of Jesus. And it's not the same for all of us. And I don't understand that. I don't understand why there are some who go through hardships that I will never face. I don't understand why I go through some struggles that other people don't have to face. But God is fashioning us after Jesus. And He is altering us. And He invites us to come into the courts with praise as He alters our lives. But the Lord also invites us to remain in His presence, not just that we might be altered, but that we might be ushered into His temple. And we might come in with thanksgiving, come in with praise, to stay there. And to forever give thanks. Psalm 100, remember, is that doxology of these coronation psalms. It speaks of that day of thanksgiving when the kingdom is ushered in. When the, the royal host, the saints, are with the Lord to serve with Him in His royal administration. And that's what this psalm truly is about. It closes out all of this, this coronation of the king saying, And now come on in. The kingdom is now. The kingdom is here. Come on in. Be a part of it. Be ushered into that millennial reign of Jesus. But there's something interesting that happens a thousand years later. After the kingdom, Revelation 21 and 22 speak of the next event. I love that it doesn't end with the kingdom. Hey, the kingdom's great. The kingdom's going to be awesome. But the kingdom is still earthbound. Revelation 21 and 22 speak of a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And even the detail in Revelation 21 and 22 cannot capture what this is going to be like. You just read through those two chapters. It's, it's amazing and mind-boggling and incredible. And yet it's just scratching the surface with human words of what's coming. What's your point, Rick? He wants to usher us into the temple where we will remain forever to give thanks. Revelation 3.12 He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will not go out from it anymore. He won't go out. 
The sheep go in and they don't go out because they're slaughtered. We go in, the sheep of His pasture, and we don't go out because He was slaughtered. You will not go out from it anymore. I'll write on Him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. We go in and we don't come out because we're with our shepherd. And we will forevermore give thanks. Happy Thanksgiving. I mean, do you have something to really be thankful for now? Do you see what I mean that all these other things are kind of cheapened by comparison? This is what Jesus holds out. This is what God the Father holds out. And when we talk about the love of the Father, last night, Les shared, and we were going around the room and talking, and Les was just saying, you know, the, the, the one thing on my heart more than any other thing is that people would come to know the love of the Father heart of God. How much God loves us. And here it is. That supreme example of His love that gives us something to be thankful for. So let's enter His gates with thanksgiving. Let's enter His courts with praise. Because the Good Shepherd was sacrificed for the sheep. Amen? Father, praise You. Lord, we worship You. We give thanks this very morning. And we pray for a continual thanks, a continual feasting in our hearts that we might have this cheerfulness, this joy, because we know who You are, what You've done. We know You, Lord Jesus, as our Good Shepherd, who has become for us or is coming to be the Great Shepherd, who will lead us ultimately into the Kingdom and into the courts to forevermore be with You, Lord, giving thanks continually. In the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.